coming live to you from the only podcast that, like the Three Bears, has one that is too loud, one that is too quiet, and one that is just right. That's it. It's the Seahawks Nest Quick sh- Podcast Quick Shot. <laughs> I, I, Ladies and gentlemen, this is the type of perfection you've come to expect here at the Seahawks Nest. Pure gold. It's pure gold, off, Nathan. Off-season. off-season uh, that's, that's the off-season jitters right there. I'm working out the kinks. You know, This is the time to do it, right? You no, know, our, our uh, listenership is going up, but this is really just the, the hammering it out for the regular season <laughs> additions. So. Yeah. That's what you know what you're being set up for. The uh, <laughs> the people that people can go ahead and go ahead and... You know, the people that are downloading every episode ever, I see you out there when you download set, it's like 75 downloads from some city in Washington I never heard of. And I'm like, okay, someone went through and downloaded every episode. That's pretty cool. Uh, that helps us a lot. So keep doing that. In fact, I've heard, just download it. Don't even listen. So if you hear this once, go ahead and subscribe. And if you never listen again, I don't, I don't care. I, my feelings won't be that hurt. It's uh, funny because you'll get rid of like the, you know, the, the bots, but people who just download it once and never listen, you're like, come on in. Yeah. Seriously. Just please, please, uh, please download and listen if you feel like it or don't. You know, I'm not going to be, like I said, not going to be too offended by, uh, by that. Uh, I just want to say, uh, former ex executive producer Brett, who has now been kicked from that role because he said, I've never seen Oceans 11, 12, or 13, and that's just unacceptable to me. So I've downgraded him. And you know my response to that he, is? He is now just I now producer. refuse to rap, rap, rap of the rappers Kickstarter so in we, response. <laughs> so I am waging a cold war of uh, indie hobby project backing. We have to now decide uh, how much it is to host the podcast between the three of us. I'm down. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Brett, you've been downgraded to just producer. The executive has been dropped. You guys okay with that? Brett's like, Brett's, Kevin's like, please, Brett could hit. Brett could uh, come out with after us with the hammer. You know, <laughs> in a growing company, sometimes sacrifices must be made. Sorry, Brett. <laughs> you're you're, uh, you're firing Samir and Michael, and you're giving me a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, very very bad friend. Very right. very bad. So let's get started. Let's get started as we always do with some Seahawks news. So here we go. The Seahawks. Let's start with the biggest Seahawks news of the week. And then we'll Eddie Lacy came in at 255 pounds. Nope, that's not it. Uh, the <laughs> okay. the uh, first we'll and later we'll be getting into our breakdown of both the offensive and defensive line. As we said, we'll be going over the positional battles happening throughout training camp. Uh, that'll come in just a minute. But first, let's talk Here's about looking the forward to the missionary battle. top story of the past week, which is according to Reddit, Earl Thomas, <laughs> Richard Sherman, and. <laughs> Why, why is this making you laugh? This is like the greatest picture I've it's ever just seen. It's a picture of three Seahawks. Oh, is it Paul Richardson, right? It's uh, Cam Chancellor. Cam my Chancellor. Friend. Sorry. Ooh, I'm going to put my face my over Cam Chancellor's. Anyway, so, so uh, we need to put our heads on there and have that be the new Seahawks. Yes. Photo. Yep. They were. They were the. Uh, they were all went out to dinner together. Is that how happy does that make you on a scale of one to ten? Uh, Eleven. Five. Because I assume this happens regularly anyway. Eleven. It makes me no more happy. It makes me the, the current amount of happy. All right. Uh, so how about this? Tom Brady's son plays as the Seahawks, or he plays as the C- Tom Brady plays as the Seahawks whenever he plays his son at Madden. How do you like that? Well, you know, he can be jealous of our supporting cast. I, I imagine it'd be nice for him to have a better. Yeah, one. it makes perfect sense. He said, "I love being that defense." Yeah. All right. Now let's get to the actual story. People probably want to hear us comment on. Seahawks reached out to Colin Kaepernick's agent on Friday, talking about bringing him in as a potential backup. What do you think? So this is we reached out to him. This is not just talking heads saying, you know, this would actually be a good fit. Uh, Actually, on one of the local radio stations, Pete Carroll mentioned that Colin Kaepernick and RG3 are both getting looks for the backup quarterback position. Yep. He mentioned RG3 as another potential option. Uh, So, Eric, Colin Kaepernick, we have a uh, rocky history with him at best. You, You maybe have said in the past that you hate Colin Kaepernick. I know, definitely know, former podcast host JD hates Colin Kaepernick. So, as a Seahawks fan, how would it feel having our former rival quarterback come in and be our backup? Would you like it? Would you hate it? Like, emotionally. I just want the emotional take. Emotionally? Don't think about, don't right, think about X's and O's. Right, right now, now, I love it because this guy was kicked from the 49ers. This guy kind of became, at one point, he was like the epitome of the 49ers, uh, kind of an underachieving team led by this great coach. 
And then he kind of became like the anti-49er, really wearing out his welcome there. And because of that, I'm emotionally okay with it. All right. Kevin? You know, it actually makes me really excited for when we see Earl Thomas playing two ways. Since we know Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman are great at catching Colin Kaepernick's passes. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Good joke. <laughs> hey, very good. Right. Uh, complete honesty, backup quarterback, um, somebody who can run an offense. Both are players that we know are capable of improvising, so they seem like they'd be a decent fit. Um, as far as backup quarterbacks go, both of those make sense. Colin Kaepernick, just in general, is he would be a very good backup. Just yeah. from a like a performance expectation standpoint, uh, Griffin the third I don't like as a backup as much just because of the ha- such an injury risk. I don't like bringing in a guy that's going to tear an ACL in his second appearance because when you have a backup, you need him to get through like four games usually, right? Like yeah, three or that's four. That's your games. worst case, yeah. And I I, I don't want I don't want to take the chance that we're then going to go down to our third string quarterback, right? Which that'll be like Jake Heaps back off the practice squad or something. I, I'm not a big fan of that plan, so. Trying yeah, to get Boykin up parole. Give me, <laughs> give me Kaepernick <laughs> in that situation. And I think, yeah, he'd probably be what the third, second or third best backup in the entire league. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of having the second or third best backup behind, you know, a top five quarterback. That seems great, especially because the controversy surrounding him, as fabricated as it seems, seems to have driven down the price to just a, a, a bargain. That's, he, he will represent an extreme bargain. Veteran minimums 900,000. Uh, and he probably wouldn't get much more than that. Yeah, it seems like we might be able to get him for a couple million dollars. On a one-year show me. Which is like, great, that sounds fine to me. A couple million dollars to have the one of the best backups in the league. Yeah, if you if we were bringing him in to be the answer at starter, I would be worried. I'd yeah. be very worried. Colin Kaepernick's a one-read quarterback. He has uh, he has feet, talent with his feet. You know, he shredded Green Bay. If he could go against Dom Capers every week, he'd be the best quarterback in the <laughs> NFL. But, but that's not how it works. And yeah, I just think right now, uh, Colin Kaepernick, very good backup. He'd be like the 25th best starter in the league. He's definitely better than Blake Bortles. I was going to say, like, we're talking, <laughs> you got to take your shot at Blake Bortles. Every time, dude. He'd There's- be the best of the 20 quarterbacks on the Jets. He's not getting a, a, you know, even a sniff from any team, but exactly, Kevin. Like, why are the Jets not calling Colin Kaepernick? Because the- they put a bunch of, uh, resources into some mediocre quarterbacks into, and they have to all figure out accounts. which one. Because their GM is a white supremacist. <laughs> All right, so let's let's move on from that. That is like that, that's the biggest story of the week. Uh, yeah, Lacey weighed in under two two fifty five. He weighed in at two fifty three. Uh, Actually, I do want to talk about that real quick. Okay. Uh, so uh, people are going. Uh, people are probably having the same reaction, which is two hundred fifty five pounds, big freaking whoop. So there's one thing I want to say about this. There's an interesting way that the Seahawks structured this uh, system that kind of speaks to some forethought. Instead of just having like, boom, you got to weigh in at a certain weight, like in August, it's actually stepped over multiple points within the year, right? which will prevent him from just dropping weight. Because what happens when people just like cut weight like a wrestler is you get a lot of like uh, soft tissue, hamstring tears, things like that. So because of the way that it's set up in the contract, it should encourage a more healthy weight loss, which I think is smart. And then they want him to play in the 240s. Like right. they, they don't, he doesn't need to get a lot lighter. Yeah, and they so, keep saying they want him right around 240. Yeah, so like they want him to play in the low 240s, and that's fine. Yeah, I think at the last, the last weigh-in is 245 or something. Like he just needs to. So it's yeah, they just want him to get in good, decent shape, but they want him to be big, which makes me think we're not going to use Eddie Lacy on every down. They nope. want they want to combo him up with Rawls. They want to combo him up with Prosize. Notre Dame CJ Prosize. Mm-hmm. I needed a second to think about it, so I was going to say what college you went to. Uh, yep. <laughs> the uh, yeah, they're going to combo him up with these guys, and they're going to see what they can do. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, he's not getting paid like a feature back. He's getting paid like part of a backfield. You don't bring thirteen running backs into training camp if you don't want. To. <laughs> it's only eight. Oh wait, it's, it's thirteen. That's ridiculous. Hey, man, George Farmer's gone. Rest in peace. Oh, George Farmer's gone. We're back down to yeah, 12. Yeah, we cut him like three weeks ago. <laughs> I believe I believe right before we started right recording, we I said, Rawls, we cut George McKissick. Farmer, and Kevin said, who cares? Rawls, <laughs> Rawls Lacey, Collins, Davis, Procise, Carson, Pope, McKissick, Madden, Coleman, and Brown. Those are the 13 players that are playing running back. That <laughs> Oh, Coleman and Brown are fullbacks. Uh, Kyle Coleman is 
definitely not going to play fullback for the Seahawks. He's definitely listed as a fullback in their roster transactions. I know, but like they're this yeah. not happening. That, that's enough. We're not talking about this guy anymore. We don't, and we don't play fullback. <laughs> that's right, anymore. everybody. Eddie Lacy, fullback. Eddie, Eddie, Lacy. very fullback. Anyway, Kyle, Col- <laughs> Kyle Coleman's not going to make the Seahawks. Let's get to that later. All right, so that Seahawks news, uh, there was, uh, that's pretty much it. I don't think that, uh, I don't think we can say anything else. Oh, uh, I do want to say one more Saturday's thing. Football projected us to be first, but DVOA loves us, so I'm not surprised about that. Uh, one more thing. Don't read into minicamp. Yeah, it's a rookie mini camp is literally nothing. Malik, Everyone has a rookie mini camp unless you accidentally tie your laces together. Right. That's like you know all the stories about so and so's in the best shape of their life, and it that comes out in June every year. It's same no, thing. It's no pads, no contact. Uh, rookies and UDFA's only. Yeah, so it's nothing. It's the, literally the, the, nothing. The best stories that came out of rookie mini camp were. Carol talking about how hard it is going to be, what a unique challenge it will be to keep Malik McDowell motivated because he's so young and he's been and he's had a trouble finding it in his career. And Tedrick Thompson saying, "I've been watching film of Earl Thomas since I was in ninth grade. He's my favorite football player." Ooh. Yep, yeah, <laughs> that that was pretty. Hashtag reasons. Those were like Tedrick. Those were my favorite uh, two stories. And I mean, Postage spent the whole time at right tackle, so that they kind of tipped their hand a little bit. Speaking of which. Let's get into our offensive line battle talk. So let's do it. Uh, let's start with the offensive line because I think it is slightly. Qu- it's going to be quicker. Well, let's we- talk real quick about what you set up before. So about how many offensive linemen are we carrying? Probably. I-, I would guess if I had to guess based on past defensive lines. So about if we eight. if we look back to last year in October, how many offensive linemen did the Seahawks had? They had twelve. How many see? Oh wait, no, sorry, that's wrong. They had nine. So right now they have twelve. So at most, I would guess we're cutting three. It's very possible we could keep ten. It will be ten or nine. It depends on how versatile, versatile, and how much they trust the guys. Like if Postage ends up not being a starter, I could see us going with nine guys because they are gonna feel confident he could back up a bunch of different line spots. Yeah, tons of flexibility. Um, if if Postage ends up as a starter, I could see us keeping 10 because maybe there's less flexibility here. So let's talk about who's definitely going to make it first. Britt is in. Britt had a renaissance season last year as center after being much improved at guard the season before. It's what's crazy to me is the Seahawks went to a Super Bowl with Britt at right tackle. They saw that it didn't work. They adjusted. They saw it was working better, and they adjusted again. And they have found, I think, a center who is... Pretty freaking good. Uh, Eric, Britt has been much maligned by us in the past. By me, yeah. What what do you, what did you see from him last year that, that made him so much better? Uh, honestly, <clears throat> the immediate thing that comes to mind, confidence. I mean, when a tackle, you can't really tell Gage a rookie if he has confidence or not. Looking at his tape when uh, we drafted him, he did what he did in college in the pros. But since the, the talent is so much bigger and better in the pros like in college you know like he kept the guy in front of him but he kept get driven he was always driven back uh when he hit the pros that's exactly what happened on a bigger level i always made the joke that he didn't allow sacks to russell wilson he just tackled russell wilson by having you know his ass backwards into him yeah running backwards into him so last year brit at center it was like well i hope this works because you know maybe maybe he won't have to guard like anyone but a nose tackle but it was confidence. Like he became the leader on that line. Justin Britt became the leader on the offensive line. But it really transformed him. And I feel like he wears that uh, that badge of honor. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing. He calls the shots. And uh, good for him, man. It, it felt like it really played to his strengths as a yes. player, right? Like he he's his weakness is what you said. He's slow. You know, he's always in recovery mode because he's not fast enough to out athletic someone. But Justin Britt is smart. He has good footwork. He knows where he's supposed to be on the play. And so now he's calling the shots on the line and he's, he's got to, knows exactly what he's supposed to do. And he gets to go against a guy who's not as fast as a guy on the outside. And yeah, he's, he looks like a pro bowler. And it's not, it didn't, it doesn't, when you think of it that way, it doesn't seem so surprising. But when you think of it the other way, like, oh, this is a failed tackle, you know, like, how good could he be? Yeah, maybe that would have made it a surprise. Well, in center, is a, it's a totally different position than guard and tackle because tackle, you're, you're floating outside. 
guard, you're kind of like stuck in this mud. Center, you're the guy with the timing. You have to move your hips at the right angle. You have to snap a ball. Snap a ball to a person and do it quickly. It's really hard. Um, for Justin Britt to acclimate to that, I'm sure that it was probably talked about a year or two ahead of the time they did it, but uh, it worked out and it was awesome. Yeah, like, I'm going to guess that Britt hadn't snapped a lot of footballs playing tackle in high school and college, right? So it definitely was something that probably took him some time to get used to, and he did a really good job adjusting. I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Britt's one glaring weakness, his one minus skill. He has a lot of very average skills, a few plus skills. His plus skills are his anchor and his punch. And I think Nate's also right about just his intelligence. Um, he plays a very heady game. His big minus is his lateral quickness. He just, he flat lacks lateral quickness. Um, we talked about this when you watch video of him in college against a guy like, uh, Jadavion Clowney or one of the plus which, pass rushers. Which he did from okay Ohio against State. Clowney. He did. He just looked physically overmatched the whole game. Mm-hmm. It was like he was barely hanging on by a thread. Well, right. it looked like they got the ball out quicker. I'll just say it. Like, when you have Clowney coming at you, when you have an elite college defensive end coming at you, get the ball out quicker. And that's what it looked like. And it helped Britt just barely. Well, plus that spread offense was predicated on that. So that makes sense. But, uh, but we're not going to break down Missouri's, uh, <laughs> thank God, <laughs> offense from 2010. So. Um, so Britt's in. Britt's in. Britt made the team. Uh, Jokel's the next one. I think we could I, just say oh, flat in. I was thinking we talk about the battle. There's going to be a battle for the left tackle job. And it's between two guys. And one is a guy that most people don't think is in a positional battle right now. They think this is someone who might barely make the team or someone who's going to get cut. George Fant is very beloved by this coaching staff. And they really believe in him. Jokel versus Fant is a real positional battle. There is a good chance Fant is your opening day left tackle. Okay, and I start preparing mentally preparing yourself for that now. I and retire. You know what? I'll be honest. Fant looks like a left tackle now. He he looks his body looks so different in the pictures. And I don't know, like I don't want to be that guy, the scout who looks at the body and is just like, oh yeah, he looks great. You know, I always think that's kind of corny. I'll wait till I see it on the field to know for sure. But as of right now, I think he is much more prepared to be successful at tackle than he was when he hit the field last year. He was woefully underprepared to play NFL tackle. I think what we're seeing is left tackle is a steep learning curve in the NFL. That's even for people who came in having played left tackle in college. And he didn't. And he appears physically to be in a great spot on the curve. He's ahead of where you'd expect. If mentally he's ahead of where you expect, then that would mean that we signed Jokel to this one-year deal because Fant will be the following year. I think even if he's ahead of where you expect, it's still a bad sign for the team if Fant is our opening day left tackle. And I don't know about that because they already have started putting the word out there. They've been They've been priming the pump, so to speak. This is what I like to say. But they're getting you ready for Fant at left tackle and Jokel at left guard because Tom Cable came out during a press conference this week and he said Luke Jokel was the best guard I've seen on tape all of last year. Okay, and he's he, what he, he's doing right there is he is preparing you for a line that has Fant at left tackle and Jokel at left guard on opening day. This is triggering seasonal depression. I was going to say this he, makes me so unhappy. Nonverbals from I, Kevin when you mentioned George Fant were just through the roof. I don't. I don't mind this, to be honest. That makes one of us. Well, uh, okay, let me let me ask I, you. I think as bad as Fant is, the guy next to him, I think, is like that. Last year was so overrated, like by the fans, because he made a a leap up. But I don't think that it was. I mean, his pro football focus ratings are just as bad. His like tape is not encouraging. And uh, I guess what we'll, I don't want to go into the guards yet, though. I want to well, go. Yeah, to let the me. Other kid, we'll battle. we'll stay on Fan for a second. Okay, just to end it. You're always talking about, you know, getting getting a whole line that will make the player next to him better, whoever that him is. Right. And so are you saying, like, by having Jokel at guard and an, a slightly improved Fant, it will make Fant a mediocre, a middle-of-the-road left tackle? I think that they could carry – they will – yes, they will – the whole will be better. It could cover up the year. deficiencies that he like, let's so say obviously Jokel, has. Let's say Jokel puts together a 70 70- – pro football focus rating season at left guard okay and i i like i said this rating is nebulous and i don't love it it's an imperfect i don't understand the methodology is unknown they won't tell anyone 
So I can't say for certain how much I agree with it. But I guess this, if Joko puts in a season like he did last year, our line will look monstrously better because that's a big upgrade from what we saw from Glowinski last year. Except Glowinski was like 10 points lower than that. He was our second best offensive lineman. Glowinski is a 46, Kevin. Uh, that's like really bad. Fant was like a 40. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. Kevin and like Nathan they, over Glowinski. Glowinski was, a, over was like a 60. Glowinski. Uh-uh. Don't look. Like, I can show you right now, but like, it's, he was really bad. Like, Okay. Our whole line was bad. Everyone was in the 40s except for... That was that. a Fetty that was uh, like a Fetty was like a 47 or 45 or something. They're both terrible. A Fetty is another one I want to talk about. At right tackle, they're going to run a three-way battle between a Fetty, Posich, and Abushi. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who wins, but it's probably not Russell Wilson. Uh, <laughs> what? Which of these three guys do you think will end up as the starter? Let's start with that. I don't know. I guess if we're running Fant out there, we don't care about this year, so Effetti. Uh, okay, what? I mean, I'm trying to read the smoke signals, and I'm uh-huh. just, like, and I think that's really where they're leaning right I now. I know, which is telling me that they're not leaning in a direction I have faith in. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I can see that, but like, of the three guys, which one do you like best to be starting right tackle? Um, do you like Effetti the best? From a skills perspective? Probably a bougie. Uh, Odi Abushi, I think, from a skills perspective, he's the one that I feel like I'm getting the most known quantity. He had a solid season at right tackle um, last year. He has shown that he can play there. He's a functioning offensive lineman. I think, worst case, he looks like Britt, a step slow at right tackle. Yeah, okay. The I looked it up. The other four line linemen on our offense, starting offensive line, their highest was 52.3, and Glinsky had the 60, he was the 63rd ranked guard in the league. I can't get any more information than that quickly, but those are, oh, that's harrowing, to say the least. If any of the guys from our line from last year start, it's probably not good. Besides Britt, yeah. Besides Britt, yes. But so, Afedi, do we expect a jump forward here? Like, so that, that tells us that they're all really bad. Can he, can he be improve enough to be a good, uh, like a, like a good offensive lineman or, do, do is he another James Carpenter level bust just right off the bat? He was hurt a lot last year. Uh, he was adjusting. He also hadn't played guard since like his freshman year at Texas A uh, and M. Do you think the tack move back to tackle will help him a little bit? Yeah, because if you look, his movement skills were not his problem. It was his reads. So I that, yeah, his that reads were could terrible. be big for him. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think you ever sat there and watched him and went, "Man, Afedi's not athletic enough to play in the NFL." You sat there and watched him and went, "Man, Afedi just screwed up that read." Yeah, Afet. Think about Afedi and Fant having them as starters on our offensive line is you had two Upside. guys who were really unprepared last year to play in a zone read system. Zone read systems are complex, and like you have to know your job. And a lot of times in offensive plays with the Seahawks last year. Both of those guys didn't know their job. They had no idea where they were going. Most and of the they get to the second level and they block no one, or they'd run to an area where there was no defender. You know, and it's like I can only watch so many plays where that happens, and and then the play's getting blown up while this is happening, right? So it's like by the guy that maybe they should have been blocking. Well, what was the play? What was the defensive line stunt that all last year we said, oh, well, that's just going to be a sack every time? Yeah, because it was a simple cross. As soon as the defensive tackle dove out and the end crossed it, the face of the tackle, the tackle followed the end and, and it didn't matter it what blew side the it, whole play up. It didn't matter what side sides. it happened on either. Like the tackle like, made the wrong read consistently on yeah. that play. And I the and the guards didn't do anything to help pick up the the switch or anything. Like I didn't know. It's like there was bad cohesion on our line too. Like I don't think the players played very well together. They did not they did not interact well. It was a bunch of like Im- like it seemed like mishmash pieces. Does, you know what I mean? Like it was a zone blocking team, but they played almost like a man up block. Everyone was looking at their man. Yeah. Um, okay. Postage. They're trying him out at right tackle. Do you think this is just a kind of look, see what he's got? How flexible can this guy be? And then we're going to kick him into guard. Or do you think there's real, real intent behind that to see if he can be the starting right tackle? I think there's real intent behind that, but I think it's one of those low downsides. You know he can play inside, so why not see if he can play outside? Like, worst case, you get a super backup. I get the feeling they trust his intelligence, too. 
Like they trust that he's smart enough that if they play him at tackle all preseason and then go, okay, you're going to be a guard, he'll be fine. He's not gonna he's not gonna struggle to catch up or anything like that. Well, he's already a pro style run blocker. I think that's a fact. And let's talk about the guy I think will be starting at right guard on day one, Odeabushi. This is the most under the radar signing of the whole off season. This guy knows how to play in his own blocking scheme. He's played for the Texans for years. He's put up a number of seasons that are better than any of our offensive linemen for last year. I think he's like the second most locked in starter in terms of where he's going to start on the line. I think he's like 100% to start the opening day at right guard. Unless they need him at right tackle, I right. agree 100%. They would have to be desperate. Like, Effetti would have to blow up in some kind of, like, horrific way, and then Postage would have to be, like, just way too slow, like Brit-level slow to yep. not be able to handle it. Like, it, it would have to be a, a chain of events. And then I agree. And I, I don't like Abushi at much as much at tackle. He's he's impressed me more on film at guard. I agree. Uh, it's I that like, movement skill piece. His lateral movement plays way better at guard. He he's really good at getting up to the next level too. And he's very powerful. Yeah, he just blows guys up. It's it's actually like I I really ex- am excited about him. I think he'll raise the level of his side of the line quite a bit. Let me ask a question here. Yeah, since we're it. talking about the zone blocking scheme and uh, Kevin, you know, demonstrating how you know. With stunts, the the guard will have to move out and the tackle will move inside. How important is it to have, and this is not trying to be an ignorant question here, how important is it to have a tackle that stays at tackle if he's going to be moving inside, if we can move? Well, he's just got to get a rub. Like well, he, absolutely. He needs to get a rub and he needs to make the reads. But let's say Fetty plays right tackle, Bushi plays right guard. And Effetti has better instincts. We already know he was, know that he has the athleticism, mm-hmm. but he can make that second block. If he at times is cra- crashing in on the line and Abushi is going out, isn't that a vast improvement? Or the, the thing about zone blocking too is you work as a unit. It's a team thing. Whereas like man blocking, you just beat your dude. That's all that matters, right? Like you line up against your guy. And you beat your dude. But with zone blocking, like you're working together and part of your thing is like, maybe I only block this guy for a second to give my team just enough time to go get this guy now. And then I got to go get this guy. Like you're, and then some guy's going to back me up on this other guy, right? Like, or something's going to happen here and we're all going to work together to create like a a positive situation. Let's illustrate this point. So I, something you might have is we're going to do, we're going to run in, we're doing an inside run in a zone blocking scheme. So the tackle's job is to kick the defensive end out. The guard's job is to occupy the three technique tackle for a second. And then they're basically going to hand that defensive tackle off to the center and then move forward and hit the linebacker coming to fill the hole. That's relying on the center being able to step up. If the center steps up, which Brick consistently did last year, then what you'd have is a sealed off wall that the running back's going to run up the middle and hit the hole. If the guard can then grab that block at the second level, that's where you start seeing it where the running back makes it about three or four yards into the, um, in past the line of scrimmage before they get touched. And that's the difference between a successful and an unsuccessful run. What kept happening last year is you would see that guard get off of their block, hand it off to Britt. Britt would seal the wall, but either you'd have the defensive end would crash past the tackle and hit at the line of scrimmage or chase them from behind, or you'd see that guard whiff on that block on the safety or linebacker and the safety or linebacker would plug the hole and make the hit for you know plus or minus one yard and And that is what nate's talking about with teamwork and that wasn't happening and the the biggest thing too kevin that you mentioned right there and i want to reiterate this point is that the guards were more missing assignments and the tackles were more like getting beat although the tackles were missing assignments too and the guards were also getting beat Overall, I don't, I do not like the season put in by a lot of the guys from our offensive line last year. They all have room for improvement. There's, and all of them, none of them are old. That's another thing. Okay. It's like Fant obviously has the, like the story, but like a Fetty's very, well, the young, old guys were Sowell and Webb and Glowinski is 25. Like, so I'm, and I'm giving Glowinski some stick just because I think the fans have this idea in their head that like Glowinski was pretty good last year and he was like not, he was not good. He was like, 
best, like very below average. And he has a lot of room for improvement. But he's 25. He could definitely keep improving. Like you saw plays where he was really good. And I think that's why fans have this idea that he's good. Because he, there are times when he is awesome. And obviously he's in the NFL. So he, so he made it this far for a reason. Um, I just saying of the established guys, Glowinski is the one that would not stun me if he got cut. I, I would, would say that I, I think he had a better season than, for instance, a Fetty. Mm-hmm. But there's more of an investment in a Fetty. Correct. I think Glowinski's biggest problem, and I said this in our uh, postseason recap, what you saw consistently, Glowinski, he would occasionally miss the second level block, which is death. But the big thing that you saw in the passing game with him was when they when you'd see that stunt on the left side consistently the left tackle would crash in and run across Glowinski's face mask. And so there was very, very poor communication on the left side. That's why I would be interested if you have a left tackle that kind of knows what they're doing. That's why I keep saying I feel like he would immediately improve because I think what that showed is Glowinski's not a glue guy. You know, he's not a leader on that line. He can't tell everyone what their position is, but I feel like he could play the role. He seems like a grinder. Like, yes. He seems like the kind of guy who could be... He could know, be a good part of a good line. Yes, exactly. But he not be, the great part of an okay line. He's not going to raise the level of your line, but whatever the rest of your line is doing, he's probably going to be like right there with it. And our line was a tire fire, so he was a tire fire. Yes. If our line was above average, he'd probably be like the worst guy on an above average line. Like he's not going to be great. I'm not, I, I'm not willing to go there, but he could be good. Let's talk about a guy that... I, I think is, is 100% to make the team. So, so far, all the guys we mentioned, I think they're so all... So, Jokul, Abuji, Fant, Afedi, Glowinski, and Britt are in. Uh, I, I agree with you on everyone but Glowinski. Glowinski, I, I think he's going to have a battle with another guy we're going to talk about later. I think okay. that that's going to be like the, the final cut. It's going to be Glowinski, this guy. Because we all agree. Let's just say one guy where we think we're going to cut. Justin Senior's getting cut. Are we all yes. in agreement with this? Yeah. It, it just seems like he's he's going to be overmatched a lot. Uh, I like the story. He seems like a good guy. He has, he's really weird because he's the opposite of the kind of guy we usually draft. His physical tools are like not exciting, but like everything else is kind of like, oh, hey, that's, yeah, he's a four year starter and he, you know, yeah. or whatever. Like it's, it's like the opposite of a normal CX thing. That being said, I think they're going to just try to sneak him onto the practice squad and call it a day, which shouldn't be hard to do. Uh, so just a senior practice squad. I'm calling that. So then we've got Postage is in, Abushi's in, Afedi's in. Britt's in, Jokel's in, Fant is in. I'm at this point. The Seahawks have given too many signals, right? I also don't think that they feel they could sneak him onto the practice squad, and I'd be inclined to agree. Yeah, I think I wouldn't. I would not want to give up on him yet. The physical tools are just like they're too there. They're they're there. Like I don't know if he'll ever make it, but he's got a shot. He's got a shot for sure. Okay, so then we come to my guy, the guy I think that could be uh, the the man in waiting, Riso Diambo. Okay. Kevin, you like Riso Diambo too, I think, other than the fact that he stepped on Russell Wilson's foot. <laughs> uh, Riso Diambo has a lot of skills. He was coming off of some injury at Boise State. Uh, I think that slowed his development a little bit. He has some of that inside-outside flexibility. Uh, I really didn't think he was the kind of guy that we were going to pick, but he may, But he's an interesting fit on the roster. Yeah, I I think that he has a shot to like be like a guy who kind of comes out of nowhere to to do stuff. I mean, he didn't make the combine last year, so he was totally under the radar. He didn't do the combine. He just did a pro day. He his pro day times were good, but everyone just craps on pro day times. They don't believe in them. Mm-hmm. I think that he has the physical tools to do it. He was he's flexible. He could play tackle in a pinch, which makes me think he has a good, he's going to make the roster because of that stick as a backup. Yeah. Like he'll at least stick as a backup, but he could push for a starting job in this off season. I think they really think they really want to see him show them what they've got at guard. Uh, so that's my, uh, that's my prediction is that Odiambo is definitely going to make it as a backup and they're going to give him a shot to win a starting guard job. Uh, if you look at him stepping on Russell Wilson's ankle, it was, a. Uh, you know, it was a slip. It was a problem. I think that there's some strength and conditioning that needs to go on with him. I think he can compete for a starting job. The fact that he's versatile, though, I think that puts him in, like you said. Um, yeah, he was, he was a good college tackle. He could play guard. Uh, I like Odiambo. 
Um, Joey Hunt is probably pretty solid to make it at this point as the backup center if Postage is going to be playing guard and tackle. That's the one thing that I think is another factor to consider is if uh, if we end up with keeping Odiombo, who could back up like right tackle, for instance, if a Fetty makes the start and if uh, Abuji and Glowinski end up wrapping up guard, then I think you're probably looking at Postage as your backup center. Okay, I could see that. I think so. Post- I think Hunt could be if could be the last cut. Also, I think he's on that list. Postich is in the mix to get a starting job too. Yes, like I think he very our very I very much think that our starting lo- offensive line could involve like Effetti, Postich, uh, Britt, uh, Bushi, and Jokel. Yeah, Postich like, at left five. guard. Do not be shocked if Postich ends up at yeah, left guard. Postich, Postich, Jokel would be a left side pairing that I would be extremely happy with. Uh, I would be excited to see that because it honestly, the leadership on that line will be awesome. Like we'll have like several guys who know what they're doing and can call, make line calls. And then we'll have a Fetty who can try to be the athletic monster with everyone else kind of telling him what to do. Right. So I kind of like that. Point idea. Shoot. I think the idea behind the, the, uh, you know, Fant at left tackle thing that they're trying to prepare us for, I don't know why, but the, the, <laughs> I'm just trying to, to read the smoke signals. I just want to put that out there. I don't want Fant to be the starting left tackle. If I had to pick, I'd pick Jokel. Give me a year at him, $8 million, like, and then Fant can be in there next year. But it just seems like they're getting us, they're getting us ready for it. I anyway, agree. uh, yeah, that offensive line, every single guy on that line, that they, I think that they hope Jokel can tell Fant what to do, you know, that can, he can be co- the communication partner that Glowinski maybe isn't ready to be yet because he's 25. Yeah. You know, and he's not. He's not uh, like a line leader yet. He's kind of just a, he well, stays in his lane. He's a grinder. Yeah, and I don't know if Glowinski will ever necessarily be that guy. He's a guy who was, you know, uh, he was the big time left tackle on a junior college team. Then he went into West Virginia and he was just asked to be a guy on a unit that had already been together for a little while. So he's never been like, we talked, Britt was a leader of his offensive line, you know, uh, Jokel played for a really decorated offensive line. Posich was the leader of his offensive line. Glowinski's never been that guy. Yep. He played for West Virginia. They were good, but yeah, he was never like celebrated. Yeah. Um, all right. We've got Robert Myers. He was on our practice squad last year. I think he's probably cut pretty safely. He seems like a deadlock to get cut. Uh, I don't know. He's bounced around practice squads for like five years. So I'm not sure if he'll, he'll make a practice squad or if he'll end up on someone else's practice squad. Obviously, teams see something in him that he's been bouncing around all these practice squads for so long, but I'm I'm not sure. Uh, it's, it seems like it's just with guys like that, it it, it should have already happened, right? Yep. Um, and I want to talk about Jordan Roos. All right, that's the last guy. So Jordan Roos has like a a shot to make it. He's got to beat out Glowitzki, Hunt, or Odiambo. He's got to yep. beat out one of these guys because we all agree Senior's gone, Myers is gone, which leaves. That leaves 10, and I think the Seahawks would rather keep 9 than 10. I agree. So, Roos has got to beat out one of these guys. So, tell me about Jordan Roos, Kevin. Can so, he beat one of these other guys out? Jordan Roos was a pretty well-considered prospect coming out of high school. He has a really good beard. He has a really good beard. He went to Purdue. Purdue's football team has been roughly hot garbage for about the last decade. Um, you know, you might have fond memories of Drew Brees throwing the ball around for them, making a, making a Rose Bowl. That was also like pretty much the last time they were any good. So just to give you an idea. And Roos did not get a senior bowl invite or did not get a, um, a combine invite. He's another one of those guys where it's pro day numbers. But if you look, he was highly productive, tons of experience. His measurables make a lot of sense. He's huge. He, he's he's a really five. big guy. Yeah. He's 6'5", um, 302. He's a guard, and he's always been a guard, too. Yep. It's not... This Jordan Roos is not playing... He's not coming in to be a flexible guard tackle. He's a guard, and he's going to be a guard, and he's big, and he plays like a guard, like you expect. Yeah, he plays physical. He's played in a few different schemes. Um, he held his own against Michigan's uh, defensive line which is very talented. Ohio State's very talented line. Um, he's the only person that had a snowball's chance of blocking Malik McDowell on that entire line. 
So a lot of the things that people talked about with like Forest Lamp when Forest when West when Western Kentucky was playing against like real football teams, that could be said about Jordan Roos, only he's a guard. I mean, let's talk about Jerus's measurables, okay? He did forty one bench presses at the pro day. That's, that's six strong. more than that's six more than other any other offensive lineman did at the combine. Okay. Dude's dude's ripped. Okay? This is just the bar. He's a big boy and he's buff. No, it's not just the bar. I know it's uh, just the bar. 225. You did it 41 times, dude. That's insane. That is. Okay. So my arms would fall off. So he, he did it. Uh, he got visits from teams, but he didn't end up getting drafted, you know, and I, this is what I like about Roos. This is the attitude I think that's going to get him on the team. This is why I think guys like Golinski and Hunt are definitely in danger. Uh, it depends on where Postage shakes out. That definitely could, yes, could determine which of Glowinski and Hunt doesn't make it. Uh, if Postage shakes out as a clear backup, uh, I think Glowinski's in. If Postage shakes out as a starter, I think Glowinski's gone. Uh, you got to keep a second. Center. Or it's Odiambo. It's one or the yeah. other. Or, or it could be Odiambo, but I think Odiambo's pretty solid because he can play tackle. Any and then a lot of those other guys maybe can't. Uh, Roos though, okay. He said this, we only won nine games my whole career, so it's important for me to make sure that I'm still putting out good tape. In a third or fourth quarter, you could turn on the film and not be able to tell that we're down by a lot of points. And that's something I like to hang my hat on. You can say, no matter what the score is, Jordan Roos gave everything he got. That's, I mean, that, he's, he's, he's serious. Like he knew his team sucks, but he's going to play hard every play because he wants, he had a goal in mind. And his goal was to make it to this point, to be an NFL football player. And the Seahawks love guys like this. Guys who overcome adversity, and his adversity was he played on a team that was hot garbage, right? You like, talk about like a road graders mentality. That's at the very least a road graders mentality. That's a guy who's going to you know bring his lunch pail to work, you know, and all those other blue collar overused uh, concepts are still true and ring true with a guy like that. Okay, well, we got to get through this defensive line quickly now. So we're keeping uh, either 9 or 10, and we're not sure which. If it's 10, we're in the clean. If it's 9, then if it's nine, one of Odiombo, Glowinski, and Hunt, or Roos, or Roos is... One of those four will not make the team. Let's all make our prediction. Kevin, which of those four is not going to make it? Odiombo. Okay. Eric? I'll let that hang out there too long. Hunt, I'm going with I'm going with Glinsky. I just I just have this weird feeling like it's it's not like it's just a I have a feeling that he's kind of fallen out of favor in some way. All right, defensive line. There's a lot of dudes, but Lots a lot of, of them dudes. are definitely not making the team. <laughs> so we can we can roll right through this. I think. Okay, last year in October, the Seahawks had eight defensive linemen. Okay, this year I believe they will be keeping maybe one extra. I think they'll be at 11. I, they, like we said last time, they're saving space by using guys as safety slash cornerback slash linebackers slash, you know, they're saving a little space by, by so doing that. So you think that. they're keeping about eight again? They're going to count, they're going to count Cassius Marsh as a linebacker, even though he's not a linebacker, so that they can keep, I think they're going to keep nine guys. So here's the, here's the options. You ready? Let's talk about who's in. Frank Clark is in. Michael Bennett is in. Atai Rubin is in. Jaron Reed is in. Cliff Averill is in. Malik McDowell is in. And Nazare Jones is almost definitely in. He would have to like blow it on epic proportions on minicamp. That puts us already at seven. At seven. <laughs> so there's a lot of guys fighting for two spots. Yep. Would you agree with my assessment so far, Kevin? All those guys are in? Uh, easily. Easily. Okay. Nazare Jones is the only one I'm not 100% on, but he's a third-round draft pick. Third-round draft picks don't generally get cut. Also, Nazare Jones is, is the only person we got that that specifically feels that Tony McDaniel role. Right. I think he really is that guy. Yeah. And okay, let's say another thing about Malik McDowell to Nazare Jones. Malik McDowell, I just want to say, the, uh, the prospect of our defensive line being Frank Clark, Michael Bennett, Malik McDowell, Cliff Averill on passing downs is like the greatest thing I can think of. <laughs> It is, yeah, it is that's disgusting. Pretty cool. uh, that is a gross pass rushing defensive line to the point where, and I've said this for five years, rushing with four and getting home is the gold standard of making a great defense. And that line will rush for four and get home. The you rush line that. that you just named will cause quarterbacks to wake up vomiting in the night. It's not. It will like, not That be is fun. not. You, you, if you are the quarterback and you're taking a snap, you're looking across that line at Bennett, Clark, 
Averill McDowell, and you are just sweating. Yikes. All right, so those those guys are all in. Wait, can I give you the other side of this? Okay. Okay. Now, rundown. Clear run-stuffing situation. I give you defensive ends Bennett McDowell, interior line Ruben Reed. Yeah, that, that I don't know if, how much they'll roll that out there because I think they want to rest those guys. I do think that, like, but if you need a one run stop, yes, that, you're that's talking about four. a lot of three hundred pounders short. Yeah, yeah, McDowell, oh my goodness, McDowell is going to slip in and out on the line. They've already said it, and I believe it. I yep. could see Nazare Jones working his way into the mix as well. Okay, so here we go. We've got a bunch of other guys that are on the team. They all serve different roles. Uh, let's talk. Let's just let's just get rid of some guys. How, how about that? I think that's the easiest way. Chanel Jenkins gone. Will Persiak gone. Tyler Harris gone. David Bass gone. Jeremy Liggins uh, who probably gone. He's a he's an undrafted free agent. We brought. I know. I yeah, know. practice squad. Okay, so that leaves three guys for two spots. Okay, and any of those guys could surprise and make it. Sure. Pete lets dudes compete, so don't count any of those guys out. I'm just saying, if we're thinking about what's likely, these guys are likely to get to not make it. So Kevin. Quentin Jefferson, Garrison Smith, Deion Jordan. If you have to only pick one, if we're keeping eight, that is brutal. One. And two, who do you think who do you think makes it of those three? I need you to rank them one, two, three, because there's no other way to do it. If we keep one, your only or one makes it. If we keep two, your top two make it. So if I'm getting my way, my top two make it. Let me just say it that way. Okay. I'm gonna start there. I want to, ch- and we we all agree they cheat and count Cassius Marsh as a linebacker. Correct? Agreed. Even yes. though he's going to play probably more because that gives us sixteen linebackers plus DBs. Right. He's and he's he's going to play more snaps at linebacker. Than, That's a fact. Than he is at or defensive line. I mean, than linebacker. Yes. <laughs> okay. So what that means is we currently are sitting on a four man rotation at defensive tackle. If we're only bringing one more in, it's going to be a defensive end and it's going to be a well, guy who rushes the passer. All three of so those, it's Deion Jordan. All three of those guys I said were our defensive ends. Yes, I mean. but you'll see what I say in a second. Okay. So I think my number one is Deion Jordan. Okay. I think because we'd be looking at a third down pin your ears back guy and he's the best of those for that. Okay. I agree with Kevin. Deion Jordan tops. Quentin Jefferson, I think, is more flexible. He could play inside and outside. He's a more complete football player. I think if they have to only keep one, unless Deion Jordan blows our pants off, which is possible, the athletic tools are there, I think that Quentin Jefferson's number one. I respect the hell out of that because he's my number two, which is why I'm saying that I, I'm keeping nine if there's any way I could. Because yeah. I want both of those real bad. I really I don't like, I really like Quentin Jefferson. I think Quentin Jefferson is a great, flexible player. He has a ton of potential as a three technique. He was an exterior defensive end in a three four who could get pass rush off the edge and up the middle. He played in a three four yep. and a four three in college because like, they switched coordinators. That's where the flexibility comes from. Yes. Like he knows how to be on different spots of the line in the three technique, the five technique, the seven technique. And if you don't and he's know a what, big end. If you don't know what those terms mean, basically there are gaps on the line, you know, and, and the gaps all have numbers. And just Google it. Just Google it. It's way easier to Google it than for me to try to explain it with words. But just Google it and just look up what a five technique is. It's the gap they're lining up in. Okay. And then when you line up in the, in those spots, you have a job and it's occupy the guys you're in front of. Nathan, you you can make a Patreon video. Are you in front of the guard in the center or are you in front of the, you know, the tackle and the guards? Like which gap are you in? Are you the nine tech? If you're the nine tech, your job is to do this. We should, we should just do a Patreon video for this. (laughs) I I probably will. So, and then a distant, distant third. Is Garrison Smith. I just think with the rest of the talent, he doesn't have a chance. If we weren't so deep, if we didn't spend two draft picks on players that are just flat making it, then I would be inclined to say that he'd have a shot. But this line's too deep. All the things I like about Quentin Jefferson, I also like about Garrison Smith. He's very similar in a lot of ways. I just think he's worse. Yes. Like he's just, he's just a little bit worse for me. Uh, last year, totally have a spot for him. This year, he got Malik McDowell. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of these guys are decent. You know, like, I think a lot of these Yeah, there's guys, some talent that's going to be floating around on the free agency pool right? because like, of this. We have too many guys that are that are good. Like This is like when we were cutting defensive backs, and everyone was just waiting to see which DB we cut, and they're like, oh, there's our nickel guy. Yeah, people are going to be picking a lot of the guys up that we cut here for as rotation ends. They belong in the NFL. Yeah. I'm, I'm sad that they're going to go. So we all agree, though, Jordan and Jefferson are the top two. Yep. And 
Okay. And, and if then, they kept Jefferson over Jordan, I would not object. Jordan, Jordan needs to impress. He can't just. I guess I'm just assuming he will, but you're right. I'm, I don't know if I'm assuming I'm rooting because I just thought that was kind of a steal for us. Right. And it's a guy that I want to see. That's why he's my number one. An ex top three pick who has a very exciting college film reel. Go watch, go watch it. It's, it's nice. All the physical tools, all of them. (laughs) All right. So next, next week we'll hit the skill positions and then we'll, uh, which, uh, one of them will be really easy. Guys, Russell Wilson is going to be the quarterback. All right. So, so. Uh, top Hot N- takes. top NFL stories for the past week. Um, there were none. I don't care about any. I honestly read through all of these like top Reddit NFL stories, like trying to find something that I thought was interesting. And I'm like, the best one was Mitch Trubisky drives a 1997 Toyota Camry. His grandma's 1997 <laughs> Toyota Camry. Yeah, which which made me think I hate Mitch Trubisky. The it made me think that's a very Mitchell thing of him. To the have. legend of Mitchell Trubisky continues to grow. Have some respect for yourself. Okay. <laughs> Second best story, Antonio Cromartie's wife pregnant with his 14th child. Which wife? That's, that's a question. His current wife. You know, not any of his <laughs> ex. all-time wife? Because if so, that's a beautiful story. If not, that's terrible. I mean, he's the modern Genghis Khan. One he's in Sean two, Kemping. It one in bad. 200 men will be his descendant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Yeah? Good? Good? That's solid. All right. Okay. I, I, I mean, I... I, I Ah, okay, whatever. Philip Rivers, get, get step your game up, dude. Him yeah, and uh, set your Travis Henry. Back. And the thing is, Philip Rivers is he's he's way in the hole because he owns only one one person he's having babies with. It's not fair. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think that anything else here matters. Uh, yep. All right. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> let's get right down to uh business then. Let's get to our movie club. Uh, All right. But before we do that. We'd like to tell you the ways you can support us. Give us five stars on iTunes. Make our iTunes ratings show up. Uh, I think we need like 10 ratings. I don't know. It's not that many. Just go give us five stars on iTunes. Uh, then, or whatever podcast service you're using, but yeah, especially iTunes. iTunes helps because I read a statistic that 70% of all people listen to their podcast through iTunes, which blows my mind because I certainly don't. And then, uh, a lot of other, uh, podcast listening apparatuses pull directly from the iTunes, uh, pool so if you make sense review there then it pushes to other places okay that makes sense and then um yeah so that's it tell you tell one friend that you uh that likes the seahawks that there's this cool new podcast you're listening to and you uh you like it and uh then send me a facebook message on our facebook page if you like our facebook page just send me a message telling me that you told a friend you there you you will win a prize I won't say what the prize is, but it's a sticker. All right. So. All right. And also, by the way, uh, thank you, Chad, for reaching out. Yeah. Glad to talk, Chad. We already uh, made a joke that made it obvious that we, uh, <laughs> we acknowledged him. And Joshua <laughs> for talking to us through Patreon. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we will never talk back to you through Patreon because that interface sucks. Yeah, it confuses me. I'm, like, too stupid to figure it out. But we, we read <laughs> the message that you send every time. And, yeah, you know... Uh, We'll, we'll ride or die with uh, Bobby Wagner as well. All right. Thank you, Eagle River. So there we go. Um, that's that's that. Uh, I finally put the our mail to Argentina in the actual mail. Yeah. <laughs> it only took me with way. the seventeen properly stamps. posted. Yeah. So hopefully this actually gets. Was it with UPS Blue? Is that what it is? No. You got to put a <laughs> you got to put a stamp that has the moon on it on there. I'm not even joking. I wish I was joking. All right. So our movie this week. This week I thought a lot, and I was like, you know, maybe I'll do what I've been doing lately, which is talk about a movie that has a sequel coming up. But then Kevin and Eric have probably been thinking all week, oh, Nathan's going to do Alien, and we're going to talk about Alien, and I want to throw a curveball at you. So instead of talking about Alien, we're going to talk about Heat. Oh, <laughs> that's, man. That's right. <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with Alien, but it's way better. Uh, maybe it's not better, but I love Heat. It's he different. Is, he is like one of my all-time favorite action flicks. Uh, Michael Mann directed... Michael Mann, of course, of Miami Vice fame. He is the creator of Miami Vice. Um, he is that that get that show gave me much joy after school uh, for, <laughs> many, for many years. Uh, so, Heat. He uh, was marketed as the first time ever Pacino and De Niro will be on s- screen together or whatever. That's the marketing, right? Yeah, the, but the that's two, not what the movie's two about. Two greatest actors of all time. They're barely supposedly. in the movie together. Yeah. Yeah, two scenes. This two is scenes. a pre-Bat Nipple height of career Val Kilmer. Val the, Kilmer made Bat Nipples 
directly after this. Yep. This is yeah. Well, he this wanted is, to go this from is his the greatest apex before the fall. He wanted to go from his greatest role into whoa whoa whoa. You mean Doc nipples. Holiday from Tombstone? Third Wait, favorite, what? third best role. Doc Holiday from Tombstone. Fat Elvis from True Romance. <laughs> oh, I forget about Fat Elvis. I forget about Fat Elvis. Wait, what about Real Genius? <laughs> <laughs> and top Secret. All right. So anyway, <coughs> yeah, Bob De Niro came straight off of Casino, straight into this, uh, which is like because Bob De Niro loves paychecks. That, that is quite a run. Like to go straight from Casino, which is an intense movie, to this movie, which is also an intense movie. Yeah. Like this movie is super sweet, though. Yeah, uh, that guy was in the Meet the Parents movies. I just want to put that out there. Hey, the let's, first one wasn't bad. Let's say another thing about Heat. Okay, Heat is like the the movie they show you when you're learning tactical, like how to be like a tactical uh, shooter in a city situation. Because the the action in this movie is like accurate. Like they really like made it seem like real. This is what it should look like. It's kind of like John Wick in that regard. Like they want it to look like it's actually something that could really happen. Also, heist movie. But unlike, like, the last time we talked about heist, we talked Ocean's Eleven, we talked Italian Job, we talked Cheeky Heist. This is more like, you know, it's not Reservoir Dogs, Everything Goes Wrong Heist, but it's some grit heist. It's brazen. Like, they aren't, these guys aren't stealing it the nice way. Yeah. This this has a... All these other heist movies we mentioned were are fun. This is this is this is bad. This yeah, is no just, funsies here. Okay, guys, ready? It's based on a true story. Did you know that? I did not yes. know that. Yeah, there's a real Neil McCauley, like the the Robert De Niro character in the movie. Uh, he was a criminal. He was. It's based was, on a true story. He was like, like a, tracked down by a detective in 1964. So it's kind of based on like a real thing that happened. Uh, it's like blood. I could tell the real story, story, but it's it's kind of long. Uh, they, but like some of the stuff in the kind of like, long that where they yeah, where they drew guns on each other that really happened, uh, like the two main characters where they drew guns on each other that was like a real thing that happened. Um, they based a bunch of the characters in the movie on real people, um, so yeah, I mean that's kind of cool to me. That's always interesting, yeah. Like it's you know because they say everything's like based on a true story. Uh, Tone Loke is in this movie. <laughs> Yep. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah, Don Lokes in this movie. John Voight's in this movie. Henry Rollins, Danny Treja. A young Ashley Judd. Uh, Jeremy Piven. Like, there's so many. Natalie Portman. There's so many people in this movie. <laughs> Dennis Haysbert. Yeah, this movie has everyone. Good in hands it. with Allstate. That's what Dennis Haysbert would say. <laughs> Hats um, for bad. Tom Sizemore. Which, by the way, Tom Sizemore in this movie won. Great job. Like, he's so good in this movie. And Tom Sizemore is so good in everything. And I wish that man could stay off drugs and keep himself healthy because he is an awesome actor. Like, I love Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Uh, he's so good in this movie. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, what else I want to say about uh, Heat. Um, Dare I, I say what, a young Danny Trejo? A, a, an only 60-year-old looking... Thank you. I about to say, he got into acting late, so there's no such thing as a young Danny Trejo as far as acting career goes. Like, I want to say that he was in his 40s in his first acting job. Yeah, that makes sense. He walked right out of prison. Uh, I guess, what do you guys think of uh, of uh, Mr. Al Pacino? Hoo-ah! Mr. Al Pacino, what do you think of him in this movie? He's he's Al Pacino. He's doing it. I yeah. like. I would say he's medium Pacino, though. Thank yeah, you, he's Kevin. Not, he's not, not, he's not high Pacino. But he's, he's, he's not character. Uh, he's he's not, not Pacino playing Pacino. Well, he's not a like a, a caricature of Pacino, like he's become recently. He's also not like a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross Pacino. He's medium Pacino. He works. He is. He is a good actor wait, wait, in this film. Pacinos. So that would be like uh, Vente. Would be a Vente. Pacino, Vente Pacino. Uh, be, it's not I, a grande. I'm gonna I don't call him. I'm calling him a sixteen ounce grande. Sixteen ounce grande. He's Pacino. the medium Pacino. Yes. Okay. Vente's the tall Pacino. Right? Yes. Or, sorry, Vente's the the extra large. The larger. And the tall would be Glengarry Glenn No, tall is tall is the smallest. Tall is like uh, is scent of a woman Pacino. No, that's pretty. That's ooh, that's, uh, that's Pacino. That's character. That's that's that's, 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 that's Pacino. Prime. What's a bad? What's a bad Pacino? Uh, Devil's Advocate is is cool. tall Pacino. That's, that's tall decaf Pacino. Pacino. That's the Pacino no one wants. Uh, no, I I feel like Pacino, Pacino light. Al Pacino. I mean, isn't there a point in this movie where Pacino yells like because she's got a great ass? Yes. 
that's a thing that happens in this movie. Well, that's the thing. That's Al Pacino being that's, Al Pacino. That's the most quoted line from this movie. Uh, certainly from Al Pacino. Just most people don't realize it. Uh, it's here's the thing. It's I feel I can, like I, I, I'm good. I'm just gonna let you know. I can do a really good impression of this scene, but I don't want to blow out all of our listeners' ears. <laughs> do it after. I could I could finish. back up like four steps and do it like away from the mic. Be like. Because she's got a great ass. <laughs> I feel like Al Pacino's. I didn't blow R- out too bad. R- 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 everyone's earbuds from this whole segment. Because <laughs> we're all yelling. Hey, it's Pacino. Uh, that's you should have expected it as soon as it came up. He's good enough in this movie. Sorry, Chad. I'm not it's, perfect anymore. Maybe he's perfect because in this because he's not he's not too over the top, and that's how I like my Pacino. Uh, I also would like to say that this is another case of Val Kilmer showing that he's a very high quality character actor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Val Kilmer as a character actor is best Val Kilmer. When he's when he's secondary or the the third main star, the third lead in this third supporting actor in a movie, but he's he is like phenomenal. The, but he's like the he's main. the focal point of the movie. Yeah, he's like yeah. the main character. Yeah. It's like I don't know how else to explain it. Like Val Kilmer, he carries the movie. He did a really good job. It's yeah, but it's almost like Big Trouble in Little China, where you know you have the hero who isn't you know who isn't the star sure, of the movie. Sure, that's sure. that's here too. Like you have these two big names surrounding Val Kilmer, and I think that that makes Val Kilmer so good. All right, you know, here's the last of- last thing we need to talk about, though. Okay, this movie begs the question: De Niro or Pacino? So, which one do you like better? Just give me. And is there anything you guys need to say about Heat before we do this? Uh, no, I was going to relate it to a different movie, so we're okay. right here. No. So, De Niro or Pacino? Which one do you like better, and why? Who's going first? I could go first, but I don't want to poison the right. well. So all right, I'll all go. Right. I'll go. It's hard, first of all, because if you look at it all, like I don't love all of Pacino's work, but recently, Bob De Niro, like Kevin said, is just pulling paychecks. Meaning, Bad like, Grandpa? Bad Grandpa, just terrible movies. Also, he's kind of become hip in his 80s. Having said that, because of movies like the first Meet the Parents, uh, Raging God, Bull, Goodfellas, Casino, uh, Heat that we just talked about, um, so many good movies from Robert De Niro. I gotta go. I gotta go Robert De Niro. I think, in my opinion, I would rather have a exceptional high point than maybe a longer stretch of mediocrity. But Chino's never been my favorite actor. There are things I like him in, but Pacino, to a lesser extent, suffers from what I call a John Travolta syndrome because John Travolta's only ever played one character and that character is John Travolta. <laughs> it's and so weird, Kevin. It's so this, weird. I'm so happy to be in this one movie, oh my you guys. God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, guys. Um, and I think Pacino has some of that in him. I enjoy that in some movies, but Robert De Niro had about a 20-year run that was just friggin' gold. Just, you know, Godfather 2, Raging Bull. Uh, Keep Fear. That's uh, the thing. Casino I- and Goodfellas are two of the biggest heavy hitter amazing movies. What about Deer Hunter, man? Like Deer Hunter, that's so big. many that's good big. movies. Raging Bull, Deer Hunter, like De Niro. De Niro his just- top is as top as anyone's. Yeah. Put his best. Put put his best five movies against anybody else's best five movies, and he'll give them a run. Period. Yep. I uh, I like I like De Niro a little better. Um, I will say, uh, and Meet the Parents is atrocious, Pacino, and I'm ashamed of you, Eric. Pacino is great, though. Like they're both really great actors, and like we were kind of lucky that they. The, the weird thing is, this movie, it's like they were. The big thing was, hey, De Niro and Pacino were in the same movie, Godfather Two, but they were never in the same scene, right? Yeah, because <laughs> they weren't, and I didn't because of the structure of the movie. And I don't know, like young De Niro looks like De Niro. Young Al Pacino and current day Al Pacino. It's like someone abducted Al Pacino and gave us a new Al Pacino. He definitely looks different in The Godfather. Way but, different. Um, yeah, The Godfather's an awesome movie. You know, it's like you can't can't argue with that. If, like if you're gonna the way to build the Pacino argument is to talk about The Godfather, the yeah. first one, and like I would start with that. Like he's awesome in that movie. That movie is awesome. And that's the other movie I wanted to bring up that has uh, Pacino in it that came out at a similar time to Heat. Uh, I have always had a soft spot in my heart for Donnie Brasco. 
Okay. And uh, that, that movie and Heat are, for me, linked as far as being an interesting way of telling a crime story that kind of came about in that like post romanticizing gangsters like uh early mid 90s and uh you had a, a again a good performance as a character actor by another A-lister in that movie and Eric you know, I know you'd love to talk about your favorite Al Pacino movie, Glenn Gary Glenn, Glenn Ross, which none of you have seen. Out, we're out of time. I know you guys have never seen it. <laughs> I know I haven't seen it. All right, so for Eric I've only Ronneback, seen Glenn Ross. For Kevin Garber, I'm Nathan Santo, and we will see you next week. Go Hawks! <laughs>